Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Fidelity's Vice President of AI and Machine Learning Research, Sarah Hoffman, joins host Pamela Ritchie for a look at how artificial intelligence and machine learning is affecting investing today. Artificial intelligence is a branch of computer science involved with the design of computers or other programmed mechanical devices, having the capacity to imitate human intelligence and thought. Built-in smartphone assistants, smart cars, and even music and video streaming services that seem to recommend you the perfect playlist to listen to and film to watch are all everyday examples of artificial intelligence. But there is still room for advancement. So what is next for AI? And how could we potentially use AI in the financial industry to change the way we invest and think about money? Sarah and Pamela will unpack all of this and more today. Today's podcast was recorded on August 26th, 2022. And one more note before we get started. If you're looking for more market insights from Fidelity Canada, please circle Thursday, September 8th on your calendar. Vivian Sue, Director of Product Innovation, is hosting a Reddit Ask Me Anything event from 12 until 2.30 p.m. Eastern. All are welcome to stop by and ask their questions about markets and investing. Head to Fidelity Canada's subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash Fidelity Canada to participate. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Welcome, Sarah. Great to see you again. Thank you for having me here. Glad to have you back. And we, we've kind of mentioned your title and some of the big little things that we'll talk about. But actually, on sort of a day-to-day basis, what do you provide within Fidelity and, and ultimately sort of your role within Fidelity? I'm part of a department, Fidelity Center for Applied Technology, which is our innovation department. And my role is really to think about where AI and machine learning is headed five years from now. And I write research papers and give talks throughout our company so that we can be prepared for where this technology is going. Fantastic. Okay, so now now we have to ask you where it's going because this is this is sort of the idea. I mean, we talked quite a lot um, with you, I guess, it was a few months ago about you know the idea that so much has been created, innovated, and now it's sort of a, a big question of how to use it and to flag biases with within different types of AI and so on. Is that still the core conversation? I guess it'll always be a concern and a worry, almost the ethical side of it, or are we moving kind of beyond that? So bias is still a really large problem for AI. Um, The good news is that a few years ago, it was purely academic. Now, pretty pretty much every company working with AI is thinking about how to mitigate bias within their AI systems. So while it's still obviously a huge area and usually important, we can also start thinking about, okay, how can we use AI to get the benefits of AI while making sure that we're doing it in the proper right way that doesn't cause issues? 
There was a little bit of a, a tipping point earlier this year, sort of in the early spring, I think April, that opened up a different form of AI. I wonder if you can take us through a little bit about what that was and, you know, a little bit about what the, the consequences or impact have, have been so far. Sure. I'll go back to 2021 for a second. Just I, the way I think of 2021 when it comes to AI is it was really the year of AI text generation. We saw these huge, massive language models that made so much more possible, whether it was, you know, writing songs, writing just automatically generating code um, from a little comment or a line of what you want the code to do. Um, but we saw text being able to be generated in new ways and much more than we've seen in the past and very sophisticated. So now starting in um, April, I would say we're starting to see the exact same thing happen for text to image, for AI image generation. We saw you know, um, OpenAI release Dolly 2. And following that, we've seen many others, relatively similar systems where you just give it a phrase and it generates an image that looks remarkably real. And it's, you know, it could be um, abstract. If you could say, oh, I want an oil painting that does X and it does it. And it's, um, I think this is really, <laughs> this year is the year of the image generator, um, which is also opening the doors to all sorts of things when it comes to design and art, um, which we haven't really been able to consider before. So let's get into the, the art and, and what we might be able to consider, but I'm just thinking of someone actually writing up a report or, or PowerPoint presentation and, and having that ability to just sort of have the images in, in real time rather than in some way, you know, ordering them or kind of trying to think up what you might need and putting out a request like that. That sounds transformational. How, how do you see that working in people's everyday lives? Yeah, so right, I mentioned earlier, I spent a lot of time writing research papers. Um, and so I'm waiting for all these tools to come together um, where, you know, right now I've used some of these text generator tools to come up with, you know, what's a good title for my report that will get people to actually read it? You know, what's the best way to finish the sentence? Or, you know, is there something else I'm missing when I think about questions we need to think about here? And I've separately um, tried to generate some images for my reports using some of these tools that are, you know, getting really, really good lately. But I am waiting and it's not going to be far for all these tools to come together. So you're writing something and now as you're typing, you're not, you can get your text suggestions as well as, you know, a number of image suggestions that would help clarify um, your work for your readers. Amazing. We just think of all forms of, of different types of presentations and how that could work. The artists themselves, music and art, I, I'm curious how this has become more woven. I mean, I feel like I can see examples of where it's coming in in certain areas, but are, are artists really using AI as a tool? I mean, there's always sort of that worry of, oh, it'll take my job. And I guess that's real as well. But what kind of tools, what kind of aids actually has AI provided to artists? Yeah, so I would say with every change in technology, there are always going to be a group of people worried, what does this mean for my job? Because that's natural, it's human nature. If I found out there was a wonderful AI researcher, you know, that's coming up and it was, it was actually AI, you know, I would worry about my job. Um, it's normal. But at the same time, a lot of these tools, you know, aren't really taking away the job of the artist. These tools are being used to help people do things faster. Um, so instead of having to create things from scratch, certain parts of what you do could be automatically generated. And the part that AI is still not very good at also is choosing this was good. <laughs> so you get a lot of suggestions and then you need the human 
figure out, A, which one is actually good, how to incorporate it. And so there's still a lot of human element necessary. I would also say it adds more things, more artistic work. So it's not only about the artist, it's just another mechanism. So for example, you know, before we had cameras, you know, even though now we can just take pictures, people are still painting, you know, maybe painting is not as important in terms of actual realistic photographs, but there's other forms of painting now that became um, really important. And so I, to me, this is just another another mechanism of art that can bring more people into this um, you know, artistic world, but it doesn't mean that the things we've had in the past are not necessary. It's just opening doors for more people to be creative. An evolution of sorts. Um, so AI is obviously taught ultimately to learn and to make decisions, but there's sort of that line of where decision-making actually happens. I mean, at some point, this is where the humans come in, I guess, right? I mean, this is sort of where those who need to make decisions and direct things and use AI and other types of machine learning as tools come in. Can you can you discuss that a little bit? Always a role for humans on the decision side of things. Yeah. So one area that I've been right now, I would say where it's not there yet, but it's getting close is the area of brainstorming. So I've been trying to see if I can use some of these text generators to come up with some, you know, innovative ideas, whether it's, you know, a new product or, you know, just a new enhancement. I was talking with Ben Syverson from IDEO. He was using it to say, you know, how can we help young people save more money, you know, and come and you get back a lot of ideas. And so this is really where, you know, to me, it's almost like brainstorming with a coworker, you know, some of the ideas I get are going to be really bad. And that's fine because it just gets you to start thinking, start thinking of other ideas to start a conversation. And then eventually you can get to a really good idea. And so to me, talking with AI is just like talking to another human. It doesn't, you know, maybe add in, like if I have a brainstorming session with two humans, it would be nice to have an AI there too. And all of us could share ideas and many of them will be bad and that's fine. And then we can just build on our ideas and get better and better until we come up with something really good. That's fascinating. And I mean, there's lots of different apps for the brainstorming you know, for use it for doing that, right? I mean, I guess they, they all sort of have slightly different purposes, but for those listening to you now, like you could go anywhere and look for most of those, right? So I would say that there are tools helping you with whether it's design, like what you can generate a lot of images, you know, say I want an image that could combine, you know, this picture with that picture and, you know, or give it a concept. I know in Columbia, they're working on VisiBlends where you give it a concept summer and it'll give you a million images. Okay. You know, not a million. I'm exaggerating, but it'll give you a lot of images, sandals and the beach, and you can figure out how to incorporate it because AI can just, you know, give you so many things and it might be, you know, more than you would think of at that moment. But when it comes to brainstorming in general, this is the area that I think eventually we're going to see better tools. Like you could use a tool like GPT-3, which is, you know, OpenAI's really powerful language model to ask it, okay, I'm brainstorming about these topics. Here are some ideas I have. You know, can you give me three more ideas? And you'll get back ideas. But I, I do think that we're going to eventually have a tool that's really designed for this purpose. Sarah, maybe I might just get your perspective on really the current capabilities of AI for those listening to different headlines, listening to whether certain types of AI do or don't have feelings even. You know, to what extent is AI in our lives and, I mean, almost human-like? Is, is this true? How should we think about that? So AI is really just math. It's very different than traditional programming, which was more telling the machine, if you see this, do this. Now the 
machine is learning from data and it has a lot of math to be able to make predictions based on that data. And because the technology is getting so much better, we're able to give it so much more data. So we can give it, you know, pretty much all the text on the internet, for example. Um, so it's getting really, really good at being able to predict sentences that sound very human-like and say those sentences, but that doesn't make it sentient. It doesn't mean it has those feelings that it might tell you it has. It's getting very good at mimicking humans, but it's not there. What is amazing is that this technology has gotten so much better that it can mimic humans and sound human-like. But AI is just math. It's just learning from data that it's seen before, and it's doing a very, very good job at imitating. But it doesn't have any feelings at all, although it is impressive that this conversation, that AI has gotten to this point where this conversation is happening. It tells you how far we've come with AI today. But AI is just math, and it's just being trained on lots and lots of data. What else along the financial front is sort of coming to the fore in this area, or or is it still needing to? So, you know, I would say my role is really to think about what could be here and not what is here and not what's coming today. But there are what many things I, I could think about that are something that could be here in, in the next few years, if not um, earlier. One area that I see we could really be using AI more is um, you know, we talked earlier about the area of AI bias, but I also like to think about it from the flip side that there's so many ways AI could help with human bias, and you know thinking about conversations you know we're having now or conversations a advisor might have with a customer or um, two employees might have together. You know there's so many ways that you know if I use tools today and I do, there are plenty of tools as I'm writing that don't only check my grammar and spelling, they're now also telling me using AI, oh, this phrase is not very inclusive, which is great because it's really hard to think about all the different phrases you could be using and how some might be harmful. And I, there are tools for that for my speaking too. Sometimes before I give a talk, not now because I didn't really know what questions I was going to get, but if I know what I'm going to be speaking about, I'll go into some of these tools and they'll check me for my inclusiveness and don't use that phrase, you know, rephrase it to this. So I could easily see how that could come into being, especially as we're all remote, somebody's talking to a client and they can get a little pop up and the client never has to know about it. You know, either whether it's, you know, rephrases for inclusivity, but also maybe talk slower or you're using a lot of jargon. Someone's going to have a hard time understanding. And I think that we're really, the technology is there for something like that. And so um, why not use it? And so we can all um, be more inclusive and, you know, speak yeah. in a better way. That's amazing. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, who's a teacher and, you know, she'll address to her class, just say, look, you know, help me so that I always know that I'm, I'm speaking in a way that's incredibly inclusive and respectful of everyone because we're all learning and I mean, wouldn't that be great if it was just on your screen, have that That's, done for you as a tool? That's incredible. That's what um, I love about being remote. <laughs> just, I think that you can't really do that in person. Have a tool that just pops up that tells you, oh, you're doing something really bad. But you could do that over a computer screen. You need easy. a little, yeah, you need like the goggles or the screen or something just with a little pop-up so you can see that that happening if you're perhaps a teacher or something else. There's an interesting blog that I want to point some of the people joining us here today to to go and take a look at. This is, um, you'll remind, this is, Catalyst. Where do they find it? Some of your blogs? Yeah, fcatalyst.com. That's our FCAT blog where we talk about a lot of the technologies that we're looking at and also different sociocultural topics that we're exploring to see how things might change in the future. 
So one of the so everyone should go and take a look at those. One of the ones I, I thought was fascinating was this idea of no code and the idea that, you know, those that have not been to coding school and have not perhaps taken courses are, are still very much able to sort of get in there and get moving on things. Can you take us through a little bit what your the point of sort of your note was and, and maybe what it might engender ultimately for a, a lot of us? Sure. So, um, you know, I explored no code tools you know, many years ago. And, you know, I'm also somebody with a coding background. My background is, you know, programming from back end to front end and then AI coding. And, but it, like years ago, I was like, okay, these tools are really hard to use. I don't know if they'll really take off. But recently I started looking at them again, especially as, you know, I was noticing, you know, as AI, we talked about text generation. Um, there are tools now that can generate code for you. And that's much more a user friendly way sometimes to be able to talk in your own language. Say, I need code that's going to compute average and get that back. It's much easier to use than some of the other ways that no code was working in the past. So it got me thinking, let me revisit this um, area of no code. And um, especially as, in a couple of years, I can just imagine these tools getting even better since the AI technology has gotten so much better just this year. And, you know, so um, I, what I found is to me, it looked like these tools were um, much more sophisticated than I'd seen uh, when I looked at them years ago. And so, you know, I wanted to test my hypothesis. So we hosted a company-wide no-code challenge in February. And we said we opened it up to the whole company to any project. Were you, and were you physical? Were you were you at a location in New York? You're in New York or in Boston? No. We opened it up to globally. Um, it was not um, one location. It was anywhere. And um, you know, this is to me especially the point of AI and technology is you shouldn't have to be in one location. People chose teams. Some people did it individually. And they chose all sorts of problems that they were facing in their you know work from all different aspects. And we had over 700 um, employees participate, which shocked me that the interest was that high because I knew I was interested in it, but I did not expect so many people from across the company, across roles, across business units to really um, be excited about this. And the demos we got back were really, really, really good. Some of them we're now trying to incorporate into our products, um, into our backend system. What were they like? Like what? I think you mentioned that that kids got involved too, right? Some people's kids. Yeah. So I had um, a couple of employees reach out to me and say, "My my 12 year old is excited about this and wants to participate. Can they?" And I, that was the question I had not anticipated. I anticipated many others, um, and I was like, "Okay, I don't see why not." And so we had a team of three 12 year olds who were children of Fidelity employees. They tried one no code tool that was a little hard for them. So they pivoted to a different no code tool that they found very usable. And they realized they had chore money and they didn't know how, what the best way is for them to save this chore money. And so they created and using no code, this app that could tell them what to do with their money. And what fascinated me by this is this is I was thinking of no code as a way for us to get ideas from employees who we don't really always hear from. You know, some people feel like, oh, if you have a hackathon, I have to know how to code. I'm not going to participate. And they might have a wonderful idea and we're never going to hear it. So this to me was a way to get ideas from all employees. But after seeing their um, demo, I started thinking about, you know, could this be a new way to you know, co-create with customers or potential customers. If we can give them a no-code tool and tell, tell them, you know, what would you like to see from, you know, Fidelity, um, from another company? You know, what would, what do you want to see? Like, 
let's let them build it. Anybody, if a 12 year old can build it, you know, anybody can build it. So that was like so amazing to see. And I was really excited to have that team because it did, I think, open our eyes to thinking about no code in a whole new way. So many things are, are being designed and there's so much innovation. Another one actually of your blogs that, that I really enjoyed was looking at the world as if you wanted to redesign it to make it more accessible for those that may have disabilities. It's almost like we've got this opportunity to, to take a look at how the world might be designed better and, and just be more accessible generally. Is, is that happening? So I would say it's happening in smaller, um, Pockets. It, it is happening to some degree that we are using technology to create things that didn't exist for certain people with different issues, limitations. But uh, you know, there's so much more we could be doing. And the area, you know, where I see that we should be do what we should be doing is really most of these things almost seem to be happening by accident. <laughs> like somebody designed something, and then a group of people say, "Hey, you know, that actually could be useful for me and <laughs> this issue that I'm dealing with." But what what would be if we actually designed it from scratch, specifically thinking about an area of people who might be, you know, missing now? And then that's where I really see how, you know, we could have a you know much better world using AI is if we start thinking of inclusion from the forefront before we even start a project, because we've seen so much benefit that just happened by accident. Imagine how much benefit we would see if we just you know started um, from scratch thinking about it. And one area I've been thinking about is self-driving cars. You know, it's like when, when things get like complicated, it's when the human needs to um, take over. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, what if we had decided we're going to build a self-driving car specifically for somebody elderly? You know, um, you know, then when things get real and there's a lot to pay attention to, maybe that's the time we really want the self-driving car to to be there. And the times when things are you know easier, maybe we don't need it. But just like trying to think about how could technology you know, be so much more beneficial if we started our problem thinking about a certain group of people and then um, built the technology for them. I wonder how, I mean, there's, they're still not out, <laughs> self-driving cars. They still mm -hmm. seem to have some issues and, and maybe the insurers want to take a second look at how, how that's all going to work and, and so on. But can I just push you for like a little bit more detail? Like what would that look like? Maybe a better service, almost like a taxiing service for those that maybe can't get out and about in other ways? Like what, what, what comes to mind for you? What I'm thinking is imagine, and I do not have the research on elderly and driving, but so I'm going to talk theoretically, but somebody does research on elderly and driving and the issue, the specific issues that are the most prevalent. Maybe it's when it's dark. I'm going to just make up an example. Let's say, you know, when it starts to get dark, that's when things get um, most difficult for them. So now we come up, we say, we're going to build a self-driving car that we don't need it to work in the light. Everybody, the, the population we're looking at is great when it's light. So we're going to just build a self-driving car that can work in the dark. <laughs> and now they have a regular car, but then when things start, when the you know sun starts to set, you know, they could continue on their drive and they don't have to pull over. <laughs> you know, for example, like I'm just making up an example here, but thinking yeah, about what that. is the problem we really need to solve? Like, what is the... The, the issue that we're trying to solve for a specific group of people. Um, and that might be easier than trying to come up with like a self-driving car that can do everything. Or maybe it's rain that we decide to focus on, for example. It's, yeah, it's so interesting. Um, and just, yeah, studying sort of traffic flows and when things, you know, either accidents happen or things happen, just solving the problems sort of that, that we know are there. A couple of questions. So how can AI, Sarah, fast track innovation? How, 
how can AI foster inclusion? So you actually you've gone through that a little bit, but maybe just sort of fast track innovation because yeah, how does that work? So great things are being created in labs. How how ultimately might that just further things or make make the research and I'm thinking of like medical stages of testing faster, perhaps. You know, the way I see it, fast-tracking innovation is a few areas, and some of them we've hit on already. You know, one, we talked about the no-code and how we can bring in more people into the process of coming up with ideas by letting them design what they would want to um, see. It's much easier to actually show what you want. The other areas we talked about related to brainstorming, let's use AI as we're coming up with idea generation. So we can have, the way I see it is like, I guess you have your, the way innovation happens today, you may have, you speak to customers, you speak to your employees, you have different ways, methods, usually they're potentially very senior employees, try to get your new ideas. But now we can use AI and no-code tools to bring in employees and other humans and customers that weren't part of the process. We could also bring AI directly into the process by letting AI be one of these brainstorming participants to come up with ideas. So I see um, this is like democratizing innovation in so many ways because we have the AI participants and the human participants who weren't there before. The other area I see is often you're in a meeting and the people who are somebody's very, very senior. Usually nobody else feels in some cases, not all cases, but other people feel like, okay, I can't argue because this really senior person just said this. And they may not agree, but they may not say it. And I do wonder what would happen if like an AI was in the mix saying, oh, that's not a good idea. You know, here's why. Just for an AI system, seniority doesn't matter. (laughs) There are no feelings to hurt or or you don't you sort of take elements away. And AI is not worrying about losing their job. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Anything that's come out of COVID specifically, well, I mean, just the process of either the lockdown process and, you know, everyone gravitating to screens for necessity in, in new and different ways. Are, are there things that have been, I guess, accelerated along the AI discussion? So I'm definitely, you know, obviously even being able to, everybody's comfortable with Zoom right. type of technology, which is a huge benefit because in so many industries, like, People would never have expected to, you know, you know, have a doctor appointment on the computer. And and now that's just there. These are things are just normal, which means that, you know, they opens the door to so many possibilities of AI that, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, things that can't happen when you're meeting a customer face to face. Um, and now it's it's all possible. And, the, you know, we, in a way, obviously, I mean, COVID was was and is horrible and awful, but like it did speed up, you know, everybody was talking about this. Um, oh, eventually, you know, we, we can all be able to meet people from anywhere in any location. And, but it was very theoretical. Nobody was ready for it. And now we're all there. So we can actually start thinking about putting AI on even more on top of all of that so that we really could benefit from it. You know, that's a huge advantage is that we're already all remote. We're already all able and know how to work from any location and we're comfortable with it and we like it. Yeah. It's fascinating how, how much has been accelerated and how people just had to learn. I mean, there was no, there was no choice in some of that. Is there something just kind of going back a little bit to, to where you see things five years from now? I'm, I'm curious, on the medical imaging side of things, we talked, we started out talking about actually where imaging has come to recently. And does that also take place in sort of the medical side of things? 
So there's definitely AI being incorporated into the medical world in um, numerous ways. And I do see this as the next big industry that is ready to be transformed. But I would say, you know, we're not, you know, there yet when it comes to the possibilities of what we could be doing with AI in the medical space. But there are already so many tools helping with, you know, there are new ways to think about drug discovery and, you know, all sorts of other things that could be really, really beneficial to us. Um, and to me, this is just the beginning. I think we'll have to um, come back to you because we, we need updates frequently from you, Sarah. It's really important to kind of see things through your eyes just in terms of the developments because we're obviously using all of these things more and more, but it's it's interesting to figure out the theoretical side behind all of this and how this goes forward. So thanks for joining us today. No problem. Happy to do this anytime. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.